Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. I hope you're traveling well. It's great to see you all again. And I want to say a big warm welcome as well from my side to one and all, but particularly to those of you who are here today, maybe for the first time, uh, as family and friends here to celebrate those who are going through the waters of baptism today. Really great to have you here. And we hope that you uh, thoroughly enjoy your time with us this morning. You know, I was reminded this morning that the psalmist said we should serve the Lord with gladness. That's the best way to serve God, right? Not with sadness, madness, or badness, but with gladness. So I hope that you feel glad to be here today because it's a very special day, and it certainly is a day for celebrating. Now, last week we kicked off a brand new series called The Way of the Wise. And this series is all about the wisdom of God found in the Word of God that enables us to live lives that honor God and, of course, lives that bless others as well. And over the course of the next several weeks, all the way to the end of September, we're going to be exploring what the wisdom of God is and where you find it and what it requires of us and the value that it adds to us because there is so much practical wisdom in the Scriptures. But really, the most important thing that we could possibly say about the wisdom of God, and I mean that like quite literally, the most important thing that we could say about the wisdom of God is that in the New Testament, the wisdom of God finds its ultimate expression in the person of Jesus. In other words, the wisdom of God is wrapped up in and revealed through the person of Jesus. And that's why Paul, the apostle, writing in the book of Colossians, in chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, encourages the church in Colossae with these words. He says, I want you to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want you to have complete confidence that you understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him, that is in Jesus, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, Paul is saying here that Jesus was and is the embodiment and the personification of the wisdom of God. So if you want to understand what true wisdom is, you have to look at Jesus, you have to listen to Jesus, you have to learn from Jesus, and you have to let Jesus lead you, right? Uh, Paul kind of emphasized the same idea when he wrote to the Corinthian believers. And the city of Corinth was an interesting place because it was a significant uh, city, a metropolis that sat right at the heart of a significant trade route between the east and the west. And so it was a bit of a cultural melting pot. People came from all over the known world to do business in Corinth. And in a lot of ways, it was like New York City by day and Las Vegas by night, right? There was lots of business activity and exchange happening in the day. And then nighttime was just a kind of hedonistic, self-indulgent pleasure feast. And so people came from all over the world, various cultures and philosophies and ideologies and religions. And so there was lots of debate in and around Corinth about what wisdom really is. And if you know anything about the Greco-Roman world, they were fascinated by the concept of wisdom. And so Paul, writing to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22, says to them this. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ and Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, God's ultimate plan for the human race. He is designed and intention for all creation, and His will and His way are revealed most completely and most clearly in the person of Jesus. So if you really want to explore the depths of divine wisdom, you have to get to know 
Jesus. Or to put it another way, the wisest thing that any person can do is to put their trust in Jesus, who is the personification and the embodiment or the expression of the wisdom of God. Right? The wisest thing any person can do is to put their trust in Jesus because he is the personification and ultimate expression of the wisdom of God. Uh, Paul again writing, this time not to a church or a collection of people, but to an individual, a young man by the name of Timothy, who was like his spiritual son in the faith. And Timothy was leading a church in another big city called Ephesus, and Paul was mentoring him and coaching him. And so Paul writes to him in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, and he says, Timothy, you have been taught the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, from childhood. Parents, just take a moment to note the value here of teaching your children the Scriptures from childhood. He says, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying the Scriptures reveal Jesus, and Jesus reveals the wisdom of God, and the wisest thing that any person can do is put their trust in Jesus because doing so leads to salvation. And of course, the converse is true. The opposite of that would be true. The most foolish thing that any human being can do would be to refuse Jesus or reject Jesus or renounce Jesus or deny Jesus. So the Scriptures are encouraging us to embrace the wisdom of God by embracing the person of Jesus and trusting Him with your life, with your future, with your family, and then ultimately with your destiny. Now, of course, Jesus himself affirmed the same idea when he concluded his great Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27 gives us the closing story that Jesus used to wrap up what was arguably the greatest sermon he ever preached. And he finished that sermon by saying this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. In other words, Jesus is again saying, the wisest thing you can do is build your life on the foundation of obedience to my word. The wisest thing you can do is take me at my word and trust that what I'm telling you is true. And then weave it into your life and begin to apply it and begin to live it and allow it to shape who you are and how you live. Now, the reason all of this is significant and relevant for us this morning is because today we get the wonderful privilege of witnessing and celebrating a whole bunch of people who are doing the wisest thing that any person can possibly do, and that is they are putting their faith and trust in Jesus and giving public expression to that today. And we get to stand alongside them and celebrate with them. And what they are doing is they are obeying the command that was given by Jesus to be baptized. Uh, the Bible tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he hung around Jerusalem for about 40 days, and he met with his disciples, like encouraging them and preparing them for his ultimate departure. And then on the last day before he went back to heaven, he met with them on a mountain just outside Galilee. And he gave them a really important set of instructions. 
And those instructions are recorded for us by Matthew, his disciple, in his gospel account. So Matthew records this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 21. And this is, in a lot of ways, think of this as like the end of season one, right? This is a final episode in season one. The credits are about to roll. It's coming to an end. And Jesus drops this like cliffhanger commission, this instruction, before disappearing before their eyes and ascending back into heaven, right? And so this is what Matthew tells us, reading from verse 18. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, can I just pause here for a moment and just note something? Do you notice that the presence of the resurrected Jesus evoked two responses. The one was worship, and the other was doubt. And the reason why that's important for us to note today is because 2,000 years later, the same is still true. Whenever anyone is confronted with the reality that Jesus is actually alive, that he's not dead, the response is either one of awe and wonder and gratitude and thanksgiving, or it's doubt and uncertainty and questioning. But what I love about this little episode is you'll notice that Jesus does not condemn the doubters and commend the believers. Jesus gives this word of instruction to both. And I reckon that says that you do not have to have it all together as a follower of Jesus to be a part of his crew. You do not have to have all your theological ducks in a row. You do not have to have a heart that is doubt-free. You do not have to have a neat theological answer to all the questions that are going around in your head. You just have to be willing to keep following. You just have to keep your heart open to Jesus and your life orientated towards Him and just keep clinging to Him. He'll lead you through the doubt and the uncertainty and the confusion and the questions. Just don't run away. Just don't turn your back on Him. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Right? If you are the kind of person who feels like you have questions that are not answered and doubts that are not resolved, that's okay. Jesus is happy for you to be a part of his crew. You can be a follower. You can be a disciple. Just stay connected to Jesus. I don't know if that encourages you, but it certainly encourages me, right? So Matthew goes on to say in verse 19 to 21 that Jesus then says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, please note that the very first words out of the mouth of Jesus in this commission are, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. The other day, I asked my theology students, because I teach theology midweek, and I asked my theology students to give me the words of the Great Commission. And every single one of them started with the word go. Go, therefore, in all the world, preach the gospel to all creatures, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, And teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. But do you notice that that is not the beginning of the commission? The commission begins with these very important words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore. And as someone once said, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to stop and ask yourself the question, what's it there for? And it's there because of the words that precede it. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've got a very important announcement to make. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am now the Lord of all lords, and I am the King of all kings. Earth has a new ruler, and it's me. 
Now, in light of this good news, go. Go and announce this good news. What good news? The good news that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Jesus has a new, or earth has a new king. And it is Jesus. And as Renee said earlier, it's not the king that everyone was expecting. It's not a dictatorial king. It's a humble servant king. A king who's willing to lay down his life to love, to save, to redeem. A king who is powerful but merciful. A king who is authoritative but who is compassionate. Jesus is the leader the world has been waiting for. And so he says, go and announce this to the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he says, surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So this instruction to baptize new followers of Jesus, new believers, is really just an instruction to encourage these believers to go public with their faith, to acknowledge their allegiance to this new king, to say that I recognize all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, and he is now Lord and leader of my life as much as he is Lord and leader of the cosmos. I'm choosing to submit and surrender my life to him, to recognize his authority, and to allow him to lead me and to be my Lord. And when you do that, you have to make a public acknowledgement of that. I mean, if you think about it, like anytime something good or new or significant happens to you, you want to go public with it. You want to let the people in your life know, particularly your friends and your family, right? Like if you get a promotion or you get a new job or you find out that you're pregnant or you find out what the gender of that baby is going to be or you win an award or maybe if you win the lottery, although I don't know, maybe you don't want to announce that you won the lottery, right? <laughs> That's the kind of good news you might want to keep to yourself. But whenever something good or significant or new happens, you want to let people know. You want to bring them in on it, right? And that's what baptism is. Baptism is just simply announcing to the world, hey, I've got good news. Jesus is my Lord and my leader, and I'm publicly acknowledging that I'm putting my faith and trust in Him, that I am believing in Him, and that I'm allowing Him to be my Lord and to be my leader. And that is certainly something worth celebrating. Now, I'm very much aware that you know, we have all sorts of people here at The Rocks who come from various cultures and backgrounds and life experiences. And, and for some people who call The Rocks home, Christianity is, is just something you're investigating, something you're exploring. You're kind of weighing it up and considering whether or not it's, it's resonating with you. And if that's you, that's great. Like, just keep learning, keep exploring, keep coming, keep showing up and keep your heart open to what God might want to say and do to you. But you may not be at the point right now where you're ready to say, I'm receiving Jesus and Lord as Savior. And that's fine. That's fine. Just keep coming. But for others of you, you might have grown up in a Christian environment or you might have come to us from another Christian tradition. So you may have been baptized as a baby or sprinkled as a baby or christened or you might have gone through catechism or confirmation or some other form of kind of religious affirmation. And if you did, that's wonderful. That's great. But none of those things equate to believers' baptism in water. Those things might have been very meaningful and significant, both to you and those who shared those experiences with you, but they are not the same as believers' baptism in water. And those particular elements, as nice as they were, were not necessary in the same way that baptism is necessary, because baptism was commanded by Jesus. It was implemented by Jesus, instituted by Jesus, and said, you need to do this if you're going to be my follower. And being baptized in water is not the kind of thing you have to think about. It's not the kind of thing you have to pray about. 
In fact, if you have a look at the book of Acts in the Bible, which is like the record of the first followers of Jesus, when people came to faith, they were baptized like within the hour of their conversion, sometimes immediately. So the moment you are happy to say, I am a believer and I'm a follower and I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus, the next step for you in your journey of faith is to be baptized. And if you're sitting here today and you consider yourself a believer and you were christened or dedicated or confirmed and, or maybe all of the above, but you have never been baptized by full immersion, then I can tell you on the authority of God's word, it is his will for your life. You don't need to overthink it. You don't need to plan it. You don't need to pray about it. You just need to do it, right? It's what he wants you to do. And the good news is you can do it today, right? We have a whole bunch of people who were baptized at our earlier gathering. We've got another group who are going to be baptized today who have already signed up to say, count me in. I'm going to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. But it's not too late for you to be a part as well. And at the end of this message, I'm going to give you opportunity to head to the back of the auditorium, to chat to one of the hosts uh, who are wearing the lanyards and just say to them, I'm in. Right? Today's my day. I'm making the decision to go public with my faith in Jesus and to be baptized today. And you can be a part of this experience. We've got everything you need to do that. We've got t-shirts. We've got shorts. We've even got underwear. I didn't know we had underwear, but we got underwear, right? I hope it's all new. Please tell me it's new underwear, right? We've got everything you need. We've got towels. You can even borrow Pastor D's hairdryer, right? Everything you need today to be baptized is ready. You just have to be willing and say, count me in, right? So you'll get an opportunity to do that. Now, when we, we talk about baptism, the, the word baptism is the Greek word baptizo. And it literally means to dip or to immerse, which is partly why when we baptize people, we take them down into a pool of water, we lower them beneath the water, and we bring them back up out of the water. But more than that, the reason we baptize that way is because baptism is meant to represent a very important truth that lies at the very heart of what it is to be Christian. And it's the truth concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Listen to the way Paul explains this in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He says, that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God the Father, now we also may live new lives. In other words, Paul's saying baptism is supposed to represent a burial and a resurrection. So that's why when we take you into the water, we don't sprinkle a little bit on you. We, we put you down underneath the water, and then we bring you back up out of the water, representing the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so every single person who is being baptized today is simply declaring, this is what I believe, that Jesus lived, he died, was buried, but he was raised again by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, the first purpose of baptism is that it is a representation of our belief. And the belief is the truth that Jesus is alive. Every person today who's getting baptized believes in their heart that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. And because he was raised, he now has the power over death, and he has the ability to give the gift of eternal life to all those who pledge their allegiance to him. Right? Death has been defeated. And even though physical death has the power to take us, it no longer has the power to keep us. It's got to release us to the gift of resurrection life that Jesus secured through his own resurrection. Right? So that's what we believe. Paul, again, the apostle, sums it up nicely for us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10. Paul is essentially saying to the Roman believers, all right, let me make this like 
as clear and simple as I possibly can. Uh, let me explain the gospel and this life of faith that we keep talking about in the clearest, most simplest terms. And this is what he says. This is the message about faith we preach. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. There it is, friends. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus is alive, and Jesus is Lord. That is the greatest news ever, and the world needs to hear it. And every single person who's getting baptized is acknowledging this is what I believe. Jesus is alive, and Jesus is Lord. And so in that sense, not only is baptism a representation of what we believe, it's also a declaration of our intent. Baptism is a declaration of our intention, and that intention is, I will follow Jesus. I will choose the wisdom of His way over my way. I will submit and surrender my life to Him. I will allow Him to be my Lord and leader. I will follow. Uh, perhaps the, the kind of closest analogy I can think of is that it's kind of like a wedding. You know when two, two people get married, um, they stand before a minister and a company of, of um, family and friends and they kind of exchange vows, you know, all those kind of uh, lovely commitments that they make to each other for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for death us do part and whatever version of that that they want to exchange. And then at some point the minister says, bring me the rings. And uh, usually, you know, there would be an exchange of rings and, and the wife would put a ring on her husband's finger and the husband would put a ring on his wife's finger. And in a very real sense, those rings, those rings are a symbol of their covenant. Those rings are a public sign to everybody that they belong to someone. They've pledged their lives and their love and their devotion to someone. And so in a very real sense, baptism is a sign. It's a symbol. It's a ceremony that says, I'm saying I do. God has already pledged His covenant commitment to us. And He's inviting us to pledge our covenant commitment to Him. And that's what baptism is. He's saying, I do. And I will. And so today, every single person who's going to go through the waters of baptism is both expressing their belief and declaring their intent. And you know, over in John's Gospel, chapter 12, and I'll finish with the Scripture, there's a rather tragic account recorded for us in verse 42 and 43 of John 12. And it says this, at the same time, many, even among the Jewish leaders, believed in Him, that is in Jesus. However, because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith in Him for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than praise from God. What a tragedy, friends that there were these people who were so compelled by what they heard Jesus say and what they saw Jesus do, so drawn to Him, so curious about Him, in some ways so deeply impacted by Him that they would say they believe in Him. And yet they were never willing to publicly acknowledge their faith in Him because they were afraid. 
afraid that they would be marginalized or they would be harassed or they would be oppressed or they would be deprived or they would be misunderstood or excommunicated. And so they chose the safety of anonymity and the security of silence. And they never went public with their faith in Jesus. And I'll tell you why that's a tragedy. Because Jesus said, anyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And anyone who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Wow. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, the stakes are so high here that you need to understand if you are going to become my follower and you're going to align yourself with me, there is a risk involved. You may be understood. You may be marginalized. Your family may excommunicate you. Your boss may overlook you. You may miss out on some opportunities. And there are some things that you might lose. But you will have gained the most important thing in the world. You will have gained a restored relationship with the living God. And you will have gained the eternal security of your soul. And Jesus said, what does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world but still loses his soul? And so today, friends, the people who are going through the waters of baptism are doing one of the most courageous things any person can do. But they're also doing one of the wisest things any person can do. And that is publicly acknowledging their faith and their trust in Jesus, whatever the cost and whatever the price, because they have found life abundant and eternal. In just a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song in worship as the band leads us. And we're going to get the incredible privilege of witnessing brothers and sisters in Christ go through those waters of baptism. And we're going to celebrate with them and we're going to show our support. But if you're here today and you've never done it, it's not too late. As we sing the words of the song, let's get up out of your seat, head back to the auditorium, tap to the hosts who are ready and waiting for you and say, count me in. Today's my day. I'm going public with my faith in Jesus. And friends, I can't think of a better Sunday to do it because today is the last Sunday of winter and next Sunday is the first Sunday of spring. Talk about a metaphor, right? For death and resurrection. I can't think of a better picture of coming out of the death of winter into the resurrection of spring. Spring is all about new life. It's about new beginnings, right? It's about rebirth. Spring is like mini new year. What a great time of the year to declare your allegiance to Jesus and to experience the gift of new and eternal life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.com.